You're listening to Hear Arizona. Addressing issues, empowering our community. My name is Naza Farin Lotfi. I'm an artist and educator, and I live in Tucson, Arizona. I make painting, drawing, sculpture, performance-based work. I was born and raised in Iran. And- Growing up in Iran, Nazafarin knew two things. She wanted to leave the country and she wanted to be an artist. I grew up in Mashhad. It's, um, it's a big city. And growing up in a developing country or in a country that is not the best place to be in the world, you always look out to other places and you're educating yourself because you want better things for yourself. Today, Naza Farin is a contemporary artist. She's shown her work in galleries and museums all over the U.S. and abroad, but she didn't always imagine that future specifically. Where she grew up, there was hardly any contemporary art to see. There is one museum of contemporary art in Tehran, and I don't think they show any local artists. I don't think I came to art because I, I because of seeing art necessarily. I was introduced to art through other things, through reading fiction, learning about history and imagining other times and places. And my family is not an artsy family in, in no way. There was a lot of fear about art and art education overall because of the job prosperities and you can't make money. And it's true. <laughs> it's a very difficult path. And that was the resistance from my family. She reached a compromise with her family. She would study design at the University of Tehran in Iran's capital city, but the arguably more daunting obstacle... Iran is very isolated, and with the sanctions and the relationships with with the West, with Europe, and with America, it's very difficult to do anything if you're inside Iran. You're stuck inside this place, and you have not many opportunities to show what you're doing. I knew I wanted to leave. So after she got her first degree... I applied to few schools in the U.S., and I got into the program at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago for the MFA program in painting and drawing. And that's how I basically came to the U.S. back in 2008. Today, Nazafarin is 36 years old, and the U.S. and Iran have had a turbulent relationship since before she was born. The CIA has released documents that show its role in the 1953 coup. That is the coup that toppled Iran's democratically elected prime minister, Mohammed. After 30 days of unsuccessfully trying to get the American hostages out of Tehran, the government of the United States is now trying to get the deposed Shah of Iran out of this country. This is an NBC News special report. The United States this afternoon acknowledged that a missile from an American ship in the Persian Gulf shot down accidentally an Iran air passenger plane with 290 people on board. Iran aggressively pursues these weapons and exports terror. States like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil. President Donald Trump's controversial travel ban had prevented entry from seven predominantly Muslim countries, one of which was Iran. Breaking news. In a major escalation in tensions between the U.S. and Iran, the top Iranian general has been killed in an airstrike. The U.S. and Iran now dangerously close to war. 17 pro-Iran fighters have been killed in the first military action undertaken by the Biden administration. Every single thing that happens politically affects me and my community's personal lives. And the best example of that is the travel ban that Trump put in effect. And that literally meant 
us being separated from each other, from our parents, from our siblings, from our friends, cousins. Nazafarin's been plugged into this news her whole life because it shaped her circumstances. But when she came to the U.S., she said she was shocked by how little people here knew about the Middle East. You think it's, it's, it's America, like everyone knows everything. It's like land of freedom. <laughs> she stayed in Chicago for a while after graduate school and moved to Tucson four years ago. Despite the tensions between Nazafarin's home country and the one she lives in now, she said there's also similarities, especially now that she's moved from the big windy city to the desert. I spend more time with the land, with the earth, with nature, which in some ways for me it was a return to like what I, how I grew up, close to mountains, close to earth, in the desert. All of that were things that I knew from my childhood. So I was thinking very much um, between the relation, the relationship between like bodies as things, like the thing you find in the world that is not called human or animate or living, has a has a potential to become a living thing. And the desert environment is very interesting because there are there are a lot of things in it that they don't seem to be alive, but they're alive, right? From the rocks to the some of the cacti that they seem like, oh my God, like are these things living? And then like in the spring they bloom and then you're like blown away. Nazafarin has a group of sculptures on display now at the Phoenix Art Museum, right outside the Violet Protest exhibition room the project we explored in our last episode. Her sculptures are made from painted and hollow papier-mâché shells that formed over the top of everyday objects, like her own chair, backpack, and paint bottles. At first, they look rock-solid and inert, like they'd stub your toe if you ran into them. But upon closer inspection, they seem light and mobile, more like people huddled under blankets. What once seemed dead comes to life. What is object or what is subject? The, the things that we like elevate to become worthy of attention and exploration is called the subject and the things that are not worthy of subjectivity are called objects. So I'm very interested in um, removing those binaries and making things that can be both objects and subjects. It's something we've heard over and over in this series. Art can make the world around us spring to life. It can help us realize beauty, hardships, and opportunities. There's all these things we sometimes tune out. Birds, rocks, cacti, news in faraway places, even exciting possibilities for our own lives. I strive for becoming a better person and wanting a different kind of life because I had experienced it in reading stories or like watching movies. And I think art can play a very significant role in what we want to hope for the future. You know, like what kind of society do we want to live in? On this episode of the State of the Arts podcast, we take a look at what it takes to make a community that fosters and supports artists, a community that's full of inspiration and growth. And that's like where I find art actually extremely important in like building a future society. It's like a garden. You design a garden, it's not going to happen tomorrow or next week. It'll take five years or in the desert, it might take 10 years until it's fully grown and beautiful. We'll hear from the people and organizations that have been working for years to make a colorful, blooming garden out of our Sonoran Desert Valley. And we'll hear about their exciting and ambitious plans. Plans that can come to fruition if we keep supporting them and keep using our own imaginations to see a more vibrant future. 
It's a warm and cloudy April afternoon as I pull up to my destination in a quiet Paradise Valley neighborhood at the base of Camelback Mountain. The house is Japanese style, low to the ground with sleek edges. Hello. Hello. I'm Anthony. Anthony. I need a mask. Are oh. you been, um, I'm vaccinated, you're yeah. Vaccinated. yeah. So are we. So okay. And inside, it's full of art. This is a German artist we found at a fair in San Francisco. Oh, this is Philip Curtis? That's Phil Curtis. Yeah. I spot a colorful Grand Canyon picture hanging beside a bathtub. It's a distinctive work of the major Southwest painter Ed Mel. I'd only ever seen his work in museums. Is that a, like, an actual, like an original painting? Yeah, Ed Mel. This is an original painting of his. My tour guide is Sally Lehman. She lives here with her husband, Richard. For me, it's almost spiritual, some of my art, but also some is challenging, and I like that. You know, it doesn't give all the time. You have to keep looking and looking at it to make it reveal itself. Today, they're both in their 70s, and they've settled down in the Phoenix area, but they've lived and collected art all over the world. Richard's long career in banking has taken them from Germany to New York to St. Louis to London, and his success has allowed them to donate money and support the arts. Nazafarin's current exhibition was a part of a $2,000 grant the museum gave to multiple emerging artists in 2019. And Phoenix Art Museum grants for emerging artists will continue for at least 10 more years now thanks to a pledge from Richard and Sally. The Laymans hope their support will jumpstart artists' careers and the public's imagination. And that's what I love, young people, kids, to get into the museum and get inspired. And even if there's only one thing they see, it's, um, I think arts are just so important for the psyche and understanding of the world around us. And while the $2,000 doesn't seem like a ton of money, it can make a huge difference for artists who are getting started, often working second jobs to make ends meet. As a Farron doesn't consider herself to be an emerging artist, she finished her arts master's degree a full decade ago, but still, the grant has really helped propel her career. So yeah, it's really not the easiest to support a practice without having a, without having a job, right? Or without having any sort of support. This grant, for me personally, was in the monetary aspect of it, was very, very helpful because that just helped me to pay my studio rent for a few months without thinking um, about like finding other sources for a little bit. And because of the grant, Nazafarin met a curator who invited her to do a prestigious arts residency in San Antonio at a place called Art Pace. It's the Pace Salsa, yes. <laughs> Linda Pace, who was an artist herself from the family, Pace family, and she donated all her wealth to art in San Antonio. And we need more of that in Arizona. <laughs> Why do we need more of that in Arizona? As we've explored in previous episodes, it's a little harder here for arts organizations. Arizona ranks around 46th in per capita state legislative arts funding each year, according to Arizona Citizens for the Arts. Tim Rogers, the Phoenix Art Museum CEO we heard from last episode, has an interesting perspective because he worked previously as a director of a museum in Florida. Without strong state or county or city financial support, it makes the situation that much more difficult. We do get a fair amount of support from the city, and that's great. But where I was in Miami, we not only had support from the city, but we also had very strong support from the county, and we had support from the state. 
you may have seen the museum's famous Monet flowering arches painting, or their fascinating and shocking Frida Kahlo work, The Suicide of Dorothy Hale. Those and hundreds of other pieces were donated to the museum, many from wealthy people who believed in the power of art. As Rogers puts it, When you're in a community that is supporting art and culture, it's a better community for all of us. Not only just in terms of there's more art to see or there's more music to hear, but I mean in terms of the overall kind of environment, um, the level of thought, um, the kind of care we have for one another as community members. And I think that when you have a healthy art community, you have a healthy community. David Geffen, the billionaire music mogul, J. Paul Getty, the oil tycoon and one-time richest man in America, the Walton family, founders of Walmart, basketball stars LeBron James and Michael Jordan, they've all donated multiple millions of dollars to the arts, in some cases building their own museums. I wondered why super successful people choose to give away their fortunes to the arts of all things. So I asked Richard Lehman. There's a whole plethora of things that are valuable to society, that contribute to the society, and you know you can't support them all. So, to some degree, you end up, I think, supporting things that you are interested in. Having art is so important that we have artists in our community, that we promote art, that art heals. And there's all kinds of ways art also benefits the well-being of people. And if I'm knowledgeable about that, then I might also want to donate art as a way of showing my altruistic this is Femida Handy. I'm a professor at the School of Social Policy and Practice at the University of Pennsylvania. Femida is an economist by training, and her academic work has been driven by a very specific quandary. And as an economist, it was always a puzzle why people work so hard to make money and then turn around and give it away. And so from that economist's perspective, she studied people's motives for donating money, as well as what they get in return for giving. I think the benefits of philanthropy are surprisingly greater to the philanthropist than you would imagine. We know that there are lots of benefits to giving. And benefits and motives are connected. If you're doing it because you think you're going to get something out of it, you're less likely to benefit from it. Femita has found that people give for all kinds of reasons. They want to make an impact. They care about a particular thing that's close to them, like the layman's with art. They might want tax write-offs or name recognition. But the important thing is if you're giving because you really care and you want to make the world a better place, the benefits are real and measurable. When I give a gift, it makes me feel good. Now we have neuroscience that shows that parts of your brain that light up are similar parts of the brain that when you eat chocolate. We've done some long-term studies which show mental and physical health of people who volunteer, for example, are really much better off than the counterparts who don't volunteer. When people volunteer, especially older people, they have all kinds of health benefits and even a lower risk of mortality. And she did another study with an even more surprising result. It's called the good look of giving effect. <laughs> Famita and her colleagues had people rate other people's attractiveness based on their high school photos. Some of those who appeared in the photographs had given to causes as adults and others hadn't. And then they had people rate those same people's photos from when they were older, with no knowledge of their giving behavior. What well, we found, controlling for all other things, that people who give, uh, other people rate them better looking, and the better looking people that people have rated, they're more likely to be giving. Famita is careful to point out that this isn't necessarily a cause and effect situation. It's not that giving away time and money makes you more attractive. 
But it's an interesting study and goes along with all the others that show that giving really pays off for people. It makes them feel good and makes them actually healthier and more likely to live a long life. Hopefully, Sally and Richard are getting some of those benefits, but they aren't reserved for wealthy people that can donate tens of thousands of dollars. They're available to all of us, as long as we give what we can and do it with genuine motives. We know that now Nesafarin's work is at the Phoenix Art Museum and in San Antonio. But I wanted to know what else was possible if we supported our local arts organizations. So I got in touch with a bunch of them and asked, what would you do if you had more money? Hi there, my name is Sean Daniels. I'm the Casser Family Artistic Director of Arizona Theatre Company. Just this week, we are doing a digital production online that's going to be viewed by 55 schools. That means 4,000 students are going to get to watch um, some theatre online. That's happening because we're offering it free and we're able to send it out digitally. And so if we had more funding, what would I do? I would make sure that every time we had a student matinee, it was digitally captured and sent out for free to every school in the state of Arizona so that every kid can see representation on stage, they can see empathy, they can see people working together, collaborating to be able to pull something off. All the great things that regardless of whether you're going to become a theater maker or not, it makes you a better person. It makes you a better citizen. My name is Michelle McLennan. I'm the president of the Chandler Cultural Foundation. We are the 501c3 management company of the Chandler Center for the Arts and the Vision Gallery in downtown Chandler. And what we would do with an influx in funding is invest money to aid in our community's recovery. By paying artists for artists in residency programs that focus on ways to navigate our emotions and feelings, to have challenging conversations with regard to equity and inclusion. My name is David Lloyd Bradley and I am president of the Arizona Art Alliance. The Art Alliance helps arts organizations get funding and do marketing. They bring artists together to network and learn from each other, and they help them with the business side of things and get artists' work out in front of a larger audience. It's about the awareness of the, the ideas that artists come up with because artists create the future. Artists reveal the unknown. With more funding, David said they could help organizations automate a lot of their administrative duties and free up more time and energy for creativity. My name is Hannah Whitaker. I'm the Gallery and Communications Coordinator at Chico Arte y Cultura. We are an art and culture nonprofit whose mission is to amplify the voices and practice of Latinx and Indigenous artists of the Southwest through exhibition, workshops, residencies, community events, and more. More funding would provide us with the necessary means to facilitate international collaboration and professional development courses. Hello, I'm Jessica Flowers, Program Director at Free Arts for Abused Children of Arizona. With an increase in arts funding, Free Arts for Abused Children of Arizona would be able to expand our programs statewide, ensuring that every child and family that has been impacted by abuse, neglect, or homelessness in Arizona has access to resilience-building arts programs and caring adult mentors. So my name is Joseph Benish. I'm the head of Arizona Citizens for the Arts. So the short version of what I and we do is I'm essentially the lobbyist for the arts in Arizona. So Joseph is working hard to convince our state legislators to give more money to arts, to move Arizona out from the bottom of the pack in arts funding. Uh, the last few years, we've got $2 million 
Now that $2 million, as you can imagine, if you do the math, does not go very far when you spread it out across the entire state of Arizona amongst, you know, a couple hundred plus organizations. But Joseph said that without his organization keeping the pressure on the state's legislatures, they could easily leave the arts off the budget entirely, something that's happened in this state before. And he said with more money, they could dedicate more manpower to convincing our government that art is a really good investment. Donating to Arizona Citizens for Arts is a little different. It doesn't go straight to an arts organization, but it does go towards raising money for arts organizations. And they do a good job putting their money to work. I like to think of us as a multiplier. You know, we're a small organization with a budget of about $200,000, but we're able to get historically about $2 million that goes out to arts organizations across the state. So an investment in us has a 10 to one return. So if people are members of ours or donate or come to our events, for every dollar they spend, we're able to turn that into $10 that goes back out to the arts community. That money could go to an organization like Hila Lancianos called Support Phoenix Artists. Hila has been making jewelry for a few years now, but she said it's always been hard to connect with other artists, to find a place and a way for them to all come together. And when the pandemic came and wiped out all the art shows she and others rely on to make their living, she decided it was time to make that group she always wished she had. The idea behind Support Phoenix Artists was to remind people to go out and buy art. Go out and spend money with your local maker or your local artists. And recently, the organization has shifted its focus to supporting emerging artists and artists of color. So I was born in Israel and my parents moved to the U.S. when I was pretty young. Hebrew is still my first language. I know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. I know what it's like to not have a lot of the resources that your peers have. But she doesn't just do it for artists. She does it for her city, for her community. Art, Hila said, is a crucial part of Phoenix preserving its identity as it grows and changes year after year. I think it is more important now than ever for the arts to maintain a foothold, maintain an anchor in the center of this city that is rapidly gentrifying and just rapidly growing. And the first thing to get washed out is just usually, you know, poor people and art. (laughs) And yeah, I just don't want to see that happen. A more ambitious goal she has for the future. One of my long-term goals is to build a huge community center that's either free or accessible to most people where people can explore different arts. Um, Like you don't have to sign up for a multi-week workshop or anything. You could just show up and jump in the music room and play the guitar with your friends. Or you can grab some coffee and then go to the painting room and paint some stuff and just kind of explore. Just a little playground, like an adult playground. Hila said she really found her passion making jewelry. All my friends are artists and chefs and entrepreneurs. And I've always felt like the person who's not fulfilling their potential in the group. (laughs) Then I finally found this craft. And just the way that I feel when I'm making stuff, and it just feels so 
everything in the world falls into place when I'm doing this. And she really wants to help other people find their things too. That's why she wants to open an adult playground for people to experiment until they find something that clicks. Better ways for artists to come together and support each other, easier access to theater performances for high school kids, more artist residencies and exhibitions to kickstart careers, more diversity in the art scene and more perspectives to learn from, more funding for the arts from the state government. The leaders of our arts organizations are full of good ideas for boosting our art scene and enhancing our community. And when it comes down to it, they all really want to make our lives better, more full of purpose. What I really want to accomplish is bringing people together through art. <laughs> I want people to find their own inner voice. I want, I'm hoping that my path, my journey can help other people realize that they can do that too. I think people just need to like branch out and do their own thing and that's where the real, that's where the real joy of living is. You just listened to an entire podcast episode on the arts. So obviously this issue carries some weight for you. To learn more about the organizations we profiled and the issues they face, visit our website, hearearizona.org. That's H-E-A-R Arizona. Tell all your friends to check us out too. They can search for Hear Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be a part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from the Virginia G. Piper Charitable Trust. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. Special thanks to Nazafarin Lotfi, the Phoenix Art Museum, Richard and Sally Lehman, Chico Arte and Cultura, Free Arts for Abused Children of Arizona, Arizona Citizens for the Arts, Arizona Art Alliance, Chandler Cultural Foundation, Support Phoenix Artists, and the Arizona Theater Company for their help with this episode. The music in this episode was by me, the Arizona Persian Cultural Center, and Arizona artist, The Main. This episode was produced, written, directed, and hosted by me, Anthony Wallace. Linda Pastori is our executive producer. Hi, this is Scott Bork from Here Arizona Podcasts. Since you're still listening, you're obviously a fan of ours. We want to hear more from you. Visit hearearizona.org and take our listener survey. That's H-E-A-R Arizona.org. Thanks for listening.